also this is Jess as well. Yep. Yes, and, and Kayla. Great. Kayla is seven and a half weeks old, so just getting used to, to parenthood. Long way from used to it, actually. <laughs> seven and a half weeks, so she's just discovering the world for the very first time. Yep. So brand new. And if she cracks it, that's nothing to do with us. Okay. <laughs> Now, uh, Nathan, we've known each other a little bit from Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, could you tell us just a few of the things that you've been uh, doing in, in, you know, the past, in your past? My past? Um, <laughs> well, I started off well, drafting, actually, but since then I've moved out of drafting and architectural stuff into the church. And I spent three years at Blackburn North Baptist as a, an intern with the, the older youth in the church there, um, Great. which is where I've come to meet some of your good friends, Alan DeMond and... That's right. Daniel so Bullock. I, I'm still getting mentored by Alan DeMond, who would have been the senior pastor yep. when you were there as well. He's been yep. there for a long time now. So Great. Yeah. yeah, good. And then beyond that, we've been at Knox Baptist, which has merged with Jonathan's parents' church. So we've brought together two churches to, to make one with the, the hope of being more, having more of an impact in the community, that, that a larger number of people, a larger number of resources, because the churches were actually two minutes apart, um, to really pool the resources to make a difference. Great. And so you're, you're up here this weekend. You have uh, other family. Who, who, yep. what, so how does that all work? So Jess's sister lives in Albury, so right. we come up and visit every now and then, and we've dropped in here a couple of times. Great. And many um, might remember uh, Rachel Melton. So uh, yeah. the sister, you can see a likeness to Rachel as well. So there you go. Yeah. Great. Well, we're looking forward to you uh, speaking and sharing with us tonight. Thanks for coming. And, no, it's and when great we to be here. here. It's great to make the most of this opportunity. So, thank you. Pleasure. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Great. What are we... Welcome. It's great to be here with you guys. It's great to be visiting. And I'm a bit like you, Joan. I think as long as they don't want me up here to do a song and dance, everything's good. And I reckon uh, Blair must have known that because he told me, turn the microphone off until you're getting up. So he didn't want you getting a dose of my singing before I got up here. But it is great to be here and it's great to be here as, as God's people um, and share this time together. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 21 um, and verse 28, which is a parable of the two sons. So Matthew chapter 21 Verses 28, and on from there. And it's Jesus speaking, and he says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first, and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not go, he answered. But later he changed his mind, and he went. Then the father went to the other son, and he said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two sons did what his father wanted? The first they answered, that is uh, the chief priests and the elders. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Let's just pray. God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that it is living and active and that it impacts our lives, that the reading and the hearing, your spirit brings it to life in us. And we pray that tonight, that in all that happens, that our hearts would be attentive, not to what else is going on, but to your voice, to your word, and to what you want to do in our lives. So we pray for all of us that your spirit would speak. You would challenge and you would change us so we become more like Christ, more able to live like him in our community. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a couple of years now since Jess and I bought our house in Bayswater in the east of Melbourne. And since we've had our house, I've had a bit of an opportunity to live some of my dream. As I was growing up, I always had the dream of being a cabinet maker or a builder. And so to have a house where we can do some renovations and do some work around the place, well, it was a dream come true. I think I love that, that experience of being able to, to work on something, to put it together with your hands and to see it at the end and think, gee, that's perfect. Oh, I've done really well. You know, apart from those dints and a couple of scratches and maybe that thing that's hanging off the side that sort of should be straight. No, my, my stuff is actually, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, I have to admit. So when it comes to these sort of things, I work really hard at getting things not only to look right, but I have to do it properly. I have to go through the proper process. Otherwise, I, I can't relax and I can't stop and enjoy it at the end. I'll be looking at it thinking, oh, just got to get back to that and fix it. And I'd encourage you, if you are speaking to Jess, don't ask her about this. You, you really don't need to know about my bad habits or, or any of that. So chat to her, but maybe don't bring that up. But over the past three years, we've been working slowly on this house to try and get it how we want it to be and to, to get rid of some of the glitches and things that aren't quite working that were left. And to my frustration, I've found out that the previous owners weren't quite as particular in how they do things as I am. Now, for some of you, this mightn't come as such a groundbreaking revelation. And for some of you, maybe it was, as it was for me. And I'll let you know that I'll be watching to see whose heads drop and, and I'll come and I'll pray for you later as I release this. But you know, I've come to realise not everyone shares my passion for perfection when it comes to home renovations, when it comes to doing things right and getting things working properly. Not everyone likes to do things right. So when we got our house, the, the first night as we picked up the keys from the real estate agent, we walked in, went through the front door and turned to the right in our lounge room and saw this big square on the wall. The previous owners had painted the room, but they'd failed to move their TV cabinet. They just painted the square around it and left the rest. Oh, who does that sort of stuff? And as we sort of made our way through to the, the laundry, we realised that the, the previous, like the washing machine had been leaking down the wall and, and rotted a hole in the plasterboard and, and in the floor a bit and so tiles were coming up. And what they'd done to try and fix it and make it a bit better, they got that brown corrugated cardboard, you know, just a normal cardboard box. They shoved a bit of that in the wall and then they got filler and, and putty and just splashed it around as liberally as they could to try and fix it up. I mean, who would think of doing that? And if that's you, please don't come and tell me. <laughs> but we started to get beyond the surface. And we started to realise that, you know, all uh, the surface looks great, but chaos prevails underneath. And I probably shouldn't be telling you a lot of this because if you ever decide to move to Melbourne and want to buy a house in Bayswater, um, we might be in trouble 
but I figure there's a lot of houses, so probably won't get ours. But one of the walls as well, painting, I realise, has a lean on it. It's sort of a, an inch lean from top to bottom, and so we put our hall stand up and it touches at the top, but it sticks way out. So hopefully people just think the hall stand legs aren't quite straight or a bit crooked. And as we go out to the backyard, they'd put a shed in the backyard and they hadn't bothered to level the ground or or put any paving or concrete or any of those things. They just put it on there and thought, we'll see if it flies. And I have to say, fly literally. Because as we went about preparing for one of the windstorms and tied everything down in the backyard, we came out the next morning to see the only thing that we hadn't tied down, our shed, had actually moved across the yard about a foot. What's going on there? So when it comes to home renovation and repairs, I've realised that there are some people who just like things to look right. They don't care about the processes. They don't care what's going on underneath as long as they've got the dodgy bits hidden behind this veneer of good. They're all happy and things are okay. And then there are those who are a bit more like me, who, who need to follow the instructions, who need to do it everything properly and go through the processes in order to produce the right outcome. And as I thought about this, I thought it's so true of how we go about our lives. It's so true in the way we live out our faith in everyday activities. So there's some of us who are concerned about the surface level veneer, of having the right clothes, the right job, the right car, and our lives are shaped, and a lot of our community is shaped by this insatiable desire to be seen by others as having and doing the right things. And there are others who are more concerned about the heart that they live from and where their heart is at. You know, am I using my possessions wisely and for the benefit of everyone? Am I living in such a way that expresses the, the value that God has on people? in a way that lets me serve my community, in a way that lets me love others, and in, in a way that shows that, that Christ is actually the centre of my life and the thing that is most important to me. In the end, it seems that our lives are, are driven on by what's going on in our hearts. And so whether it's looking eye, right in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of people around us or living right and, and starting to align ourselves with God's heart, this naturally affects the way we go about our lives, day in and day out. And so I wonder for each of us, in terms of how we go about our lives and how we go about expressing faith in our lives, are we more concerned about doing the right things, being seen as doing the things that, that other people see as important? Or are we concerned with living right? and doing those things which are pleasing to God and right in his eyes? Are we seeking to, to look right or to live right? Because I, I look at this parable and at the heart of it we discover that, that God is far more concerned with how we live than how we look. That what we put into practice is far more important than any promises we could make because we know, all know that even the greatest promises can end up amounting to nothing. So what really matters to God is how we allow our relationship with him to interact with our everyday lives, our everyday activities, our comings and goings. 
And so we come to this parable where, where Jesus is having this confrontation with the, the chief priests and the elders of the, the Jewish people. And as Jesus' ministry begins to emerge in the Jewish community, these elders and these leaders of the church are struggling to maintain their reputation and their standing within the community because people are starting to move off from their way of life and their way of faith and follow Jesus in his new way. And as they hold this discussion and Jesus confronts them, and he questions not only their lifestyle, as religious people. He questions not only their authority to be telling people what to do and directing people in matters of faith, he even goes as far as to question their place in the kingdom of God. He says that the kingdom of God doesn't necessarily belong to those who look right, who, who look like they've got everything together, but to those who recognise Jesus and have chosen to live according to his call. And his direction. And so we come to this place where, where Jesus uses this incredibly human story to illustrate this amazing spiritual truth, this really deep truth. And I sort of say human because I grew up on a farm, sort of bought Swan Hill direction, in the middle of nowhere pretty much. It was half an hour into town. And I call it a human story because I can just imagine it happening out on the farm. And I'm very fortunate here because I've got two brothers, so I don't need to get myself in trouble in this story. But please, if, if they ever come past Aubrey or Wodonga, don't, don't mention I, I told this story. And it is a hypothetical. But uh, I can just imagine Dad coming to, say, my older brother Shane, and he says, look, the, the back paddock is just full of weeds. I, I need you to get, to, to get the plough and just run over it to, to work them back in. And, and Shane sort of says, oh, look, you know, I've got all, all this other stuff I want to do. Um, you know, I won't go at the moment, it's right. And as he sort of starts to think and fiddling with a few other things, your conscience starts to kick in and thinks, gee, I probably should have gone then. I probably should have gone and, and done what Dad asked. And so he, he gets out there, he jumps on the tractor and heads out the paddock and, and works it up. But in the meantime, Dad's gone to, to my younger brother, Daniel, and he goes to him and he says, Dan, you know, would you mind just heading out to the, the paddock to work up those weeds? And Dan's like, yeah, yeah, no worries, I'll get straight to that. And then he, he sort of, as he heads out the back of the shed, he sees a project he's been working on. I think, oh, you know, I could spend a bit of time here and then I'll maybe go to that later. And he gets distracted and never actually makes it outside of the shed. And as you look, maybe neither of these two boys got it right. Neither of the two sons actually got it spot on. But in this illustration, that, that's not the point. Jesus asks a question. So which of the sons did what the father wanted? I think it was a pretty straightforward question. I think they all knew where it was going. And they answer pretty straightforward. Well, the first one, yeah. But I think sometimes with parables, you need to look a little bit deeper. And sometimes the questions that Jesus doesn't ask, maybe uh, the important questions that we need to ask ourselves and we need to reflect on. And the question I think maybe that Jesus didn't ask, and the question that maybe these elders and these Pharisees, but also the outcasts of society would be left with, is which of these two sons is most reflective of your response to God? 
the way you go when God calls you into action and calls you to respond. Which of these sons most reflects your attitude and your heart? There may be sometimes we're like the first son, the son who flatly refused to do what the father had asked. And then through this radical change of heart comes back and chose to take action. The son who stands in this story as an example, the least religious, the sinners and the tax collectors of the day. These are people who are rejected and despised in their community because their lives by appearance seem to have no, seem to be an outright rejection of anything to do with God. Yeah, they were the ones who, when Jesus came, they took his message to heart and they changed their lives. They changed their whole lives to meet the demands of the gospel. Those who, who may not have appeared at all religious and whose lives were in disarray were the ones who were willing to respond in obedience to God's call. And as such, Jesus said they had received a place in the kingdom of God because the true people of God are those who respond with a life of obedience. Maybe sometimes we find we're a little more in the second son category. Maybe at times we, we find ourselves in that place where we're promised to do what God has asked. And then we do nothing. And this son in the story stands an example of the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders of their day. And their concern, these people, was to look Right. They paraded around in their robes, you know, the, the flash robes and the headgear, and they stood in the temple, as, as you read in Matthew. They stood in the temple and offered these prayers in front of everyone to be seen, to be noticed, and to be recognized. And yet, in many senses, their lives have become useless. These people have been called by God. They were called by God to work and serve among the people of Israel. And yet they cut themselves off and they become irrelevant. They'd chosen to condemn and despise the very ones that God was calling them to love and extend his grace to. The ones that were, they were called to help spiritually and physically and socially as they were the outcasts of their community. They made all the right impressions. They devoted themselves, or so they said, to a life of obedience to God and yet they never took action. They just stood back and they did nothing. And as a result of their disobedience in verse 31, it seems that the very people that they despised were actually entering the kingdom of God ahead of them because it belongs to those who do the will of God. So do we find ourselves, maybe at this time, more like the first or the second son, more concerned with how we look I'm more concerned that our hearts and our, our lives reflect who God is and his call for us. Because it seems to me that in the heart of this parable, there's this change taking place, this fundamental change between what, what truly makes God's people, the people of God. And Jesus makes it pretty clear that the kingdom of God doesn't necessarily belong so much to those who look religious, but to those who follow his call. Now just imagine these Pharisees, how heart-wrenching that must have been, the slap in the face where, where Jesus starts to take their role of bringing God to the people. He says, well, actually now we're making relationship with God open to everyone, everyone who would choose to align their heart with his. In 1 Peter 2, 9-12, 
It says, but you, but you, those who follow Jesus, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness. In verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, those who are called to be different and to stand out, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans and among the Christians for that matter, that our lives have integrity as a whole. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. People may see God in what we do and be prepared for when he returns. See, our role as the church and as the people of God is not just to do church. I've come across a lot of people and they really don't care what our churches look like. But they care if our churches and if the people of our church reflect the love and compassion of Christ. And our call as followers of Jesus is to bear witness to Christ, to live a life of mercy and good deeds among a world. Not for the sake of good deeds, but for the sake of bringing Christ into the lives of those around us. The funny thing is, as we start to embrace people in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their turmoils, means our life might go into a bit of chaos. might always look as we planned it to look. And it means we might be travelling with people who don't look very religious before they respond to God. But you know, Jesus himself, or Jesus called himself a friend of, of sinners. as one who welcomed in those in need of healing and forgiveness. And so surely as a church, we are called to do the same. As I've chatted to Jonathan, and as I was here this morning, I want to say that I reckon it's a great encouragement for this church. I look at the ministries you have to the community and the focus you have on the people, not just in the church, but those who are outside of the church and the way that you seek to be faithful to God's call to serve and to love them and to share a message of hope with them. And I see a church that is faithful to the opportunities that God has provided. And that excites me because that's what church is so much about. That's how it should be, that people know us as those who put love, who put hands and feet to the love of Christ. That if the church was to disappear, they would see the difference that it makes and they would know that it wasn't how life was meant to be. Life without the church is not how God made the world to be. The reality is that as followers of Jesus, we know that our words and our promises will never be a substitute for a life that is made complete in action. And James talks about that partnership between our words and our actions in chapter 2. He says, What good is it, brothers, if a man claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith itself, if it is not accompanied by action, 
is dead. A while ago in our church, we had a single mother drop in, a single mother from our local community, the local high school, where I spend a lot of time. And she was after a fridge and a couple of beds because she just moved back into Melbourne and she didn't have those things. I just think, suppose as a church we'd said, look, that's terrible. That's so sad to hear. But, you know, stay, stay fed and stay well rested. I hope you guys are well. Now, this is a, the kind of faith that James is saying just doesn't cut it. And he poses the same question as Jesus. Can this type of faith, can we really expect to be those who inherit our part in the kingdom of God? Do we really understand the gospel if our faith doesn't begin to permeate into everyday life and influence the way that we think, the way that we speak and the way that we act? And I have to admit that as I look at my own life, I struggle at times with this, where maybe my life, I've failed to act, I've failed to respond to someone in need and I just think, must break God's heart, an opportunity for someone to encounter him. And I didn't act, or I didn't respond, or I didn't take that opportunity. And so as I was preparing this sermon, as I was thinking about it, I was doing my journaling. I, I get up in the mornings, and I struggle to get up some mornings, but and even more with Kayla now. But I, I get up in the mornings and spend some time journaling, just reading scripture and, and looking at what God's saying to me, and And as I was preparing this, I came across a passage in Proverbs 21 and it says, All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, while these two things aren't the same, God impressed on me that this sacrifice and church, in some sense, are parallel. In the Old Testament, sacrifice was used as a key part in their relationship, in encountering God. And in the same way, church is a key part of us, encountering God and coming together to grow in our relationship with him. And so while they're not exactly the same, in essence, I felt that God was saying that to do what is right and just is more acceptable to God than just coming to church. Now, I'm not saying don't come to church. I love church. I love the church. And so quite the opposite. I'm saying that coming to church is vital is one of the most important things in our relationship with God. But it needs to be combined with a life of service, a life that is completed by acts of love and mercy, a life that is completed by sharing the gospel. The man looks at the outward appearance and all his ways seem okay. They seem all right. But God looks at the heart. He looks for attitudes of obedience. And I know myself, we judge people so quickly by the outside, by their actions. And more and more, I think, sometimes we allow this to to sneak into the church. And we have this, in some senses, a desire to look perfect, to look like we've got it all together. And I can tell you the truth, I'm a long way from all together, and I hope we can all admit that. And I think sometimes before we realise these, these perceptions actually start to matter more than people. 
we start to lose track of what it's really about. We lose the art of doing life together. And we start to, to cover ourselves up and to hide our shortcomings and to disconnect. But the, the thing is, God isn't, and in this parable, isn't after perfection. I mean, the, the cross of Christ is testimony to that. One glance at the cross and we remember there's no way that we can achieve this on our own, this idea of perfection. It's only by the grace of God that we are made whole and complete. And so maybe it's time for some of us and for myself included that we surrender this desire to be perfect or to look perfect. We just choose a life of integrity before God, to choose a life of integrity in our communities. Because I'm convinced that more than anything, our world is not interested in perfect Christians, but in people and churches who can be real about the joys and about the struggles, but about the grace of God that comes into all those and meets us there. So it's unfortunate. It's always unfortunate to know we're going to make mistakes, isn't it? It would be nice just to to flow through life and not make them. But thankfully, living for God isn't about achieving perfection. And maybe that's why Jesus makes it clear that neither son actually got it right. That wasn't the point. Because I know, and, and we all know, how easy it is to offer to pray for someone or to do something and then forget or fail to follow through. How easy it is to sing some of these songs and I thought about to the ends of the earth. Jesus, I believe in you and I'll go to the ends of the earth. And how easy it is to turn around and forget the opportunities that are right there ahead of us as we come out the door. And sometimes to be challenged by, by scripture and by our times with God and yet to leave unchanged, to not act on what the Spirit prompts and stirs in our hearts. The fact that neither son got it right, I think gives us hope. as a word of encouragement for us because it becomes not about being perfect and not about looking right, but about seeking to have integrity between our faith and our actions to become more and more responsive as we live in relationship with Christ, more and more responsive to his call and his words to us. By the fact that we are part of a church and and by the fact that we are part of this church, we commit ourselves to a life of faith, a life of loving service to God and to this community and to the community that lives just outside our doors. It's my prayer that each of us, each of us, would follow through on that commitment. God would find us with hearts that are ready and willing, hearts that are full of love and compassion, hearts that long for nothing more than to live a life of service in this world, lives that reflect who Christ is and what he has done. Let's just pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for that parable, the parable of the two sons, that it reminds us that we don't need to be perfect, that we don't need to look right or look like we have it all together. Reminder that your grace is sufficient for us, that your cross is our means to perfection, our means to wholeness. God, in all times, we ask that we would not seek to live as religious people, but seek to live as followers of Jesus, the people who, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday, and every day, people who reflect the love and the grace that we have found at the foot of the cross. God, may we as your people have hearts not of stone but of flesh, hearts that are willing and ready to respond to your call, your call to love our community and those who don't know you so that they might know Christ. So God, go with us this week. May your spirit guide us. May you speak to us, but may you speak through us and through our actions as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.